I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Chicago Cubs Dreamcast is on the air. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Cubs Dreamcast. I am one of your hosts, Ken, a.k.a. Rice Cube. Ben, our fearless leader, a.k.a. Anil Katuli, can't make it to this recording due to the fact that he has to work multiple jobs to pay for his jacked-up season tickets. So it'll just be myself and Andy, a.k.a. Behind the Ivy, for this episode of the revived World Series Dreaming Cubs Dreamcast. We do very much appreciate everyone who downloaded the beta test episode, as well as our official reboot episode 1. There were a lot more downloads than I anticipated, and as time goes by, I hope to improve on the sound quality, streamlining, and other factors to improve your listening experience and to make it worthwhile for you to listen to us peasants prattle on about the Cubs. As Ben said in the last Dreamcast, we do appreciate any and all questions and comments, which you can send to worldseriesdreaming at gmail.com. Ben is a man of his word, and any questions that we find poignant or awesomely funny could win you one of his plethora of bobbleheads, so please do send some in. Then we can have a little bit more to talk about. We are also now listed on iTunes, so please stop over there and help us with good ratings, if we deserve them, so more people can find and share in our Dreamcast and in the World Series Dreaming community. Our blog is found at worldseriesdreaming.com. And all relevant links will be found in the show notes associated with this Dreamcast. Our topics for this episode include Cubs finishing out spring training. Their Cactus League season ended earlier on Wednesday, and they are now going to play in Houston Thursday and Friday as of this recording. The roster in which both Matt Caesar and Tommy Asella made it onto the club. An NL Central preview featuring Andy and the ongoing Wrigley Field renovations, which look to be ready by opening day. Here we go! As the spring gave away to summer Past the ivy-colored dreams Toward the days that kept us Yearning for tomorrows For this segment of the Dreamcast, we are joined by one of our blog partners, Mr. Andrew Wasco, a.k.a. Behind the Ivy. How are you doing, Andy? Good. Glad to be here. Yeah. You want to tell everybody how they can follow you on the Twitters and whatnot? Uh, Yeah, on Twitter, I'm at at behind underscore the underscore Ivy. And so for this segment, uh, because Andy has spent a lot of time and energy in building these awesome uh, previews for the division, so obviously the Chicago Cubs are in the National League Central, and for the past few years, the Central has been one of the stronger divisions in in the uh, all of Major League Baseball, but especially over the last two years, it seems like it's gotten really lopsided where the Cubs are just a juggernaut and everybody's just playing chaser. If you've been following us on WorldSeriesDreaming.com, Andy has projected them as such from the bottom up. So the cellar dweller is the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, Then you have the up-and-coming Milwaukee Brewers. They're also rebuilding, but they have a pretty good farm system. The Pittsburgh Pirates are, you know, the eternal bridesmaid. They're finishing up third. Then you got the Cardinals finishing up second. And then you have the Cubs just kind of looking down upon everyone like they're on Mount Olympus. Yeah, that's pretty much the NL Central for 2017 based on what we know now. 
unlike the years past that you talked about, though, I think this year we're going to see a a little more bunching between second and fourth. The The Reds are terrible. They may actually be the worst team in baseball, other than Joey Votto, who I feel absolutely horrible for. There is nothing worth talking about on that roster at this point. You know, Jay Bruce is gone. Brandon Phillips is gone. And Scott Feldman is starting opening day, which is really all you need to say. Because yeah, uh, Homer Bailey is still hurt, right? He can't come back until something like June or July. Yeah, Homer Bailey had some elbow chips after Tommy John surgery, which isn't an uncommon injury post-Tommy John. But, yeah, without him being healthy, their their rotation is horrendous. Bronson Arroyo will actually join that rotation after a few weeks into the season. And Bronson Arroyo hasn't thrown a pitch in Major League Baseball since 2014. He, really nothing. A, he also had the Tommy John surgery, right? He did uh, for a guy that went for so long in his career and, you know, he never missed a start. He got old and had a confluence of injuries at one time and now making a comeback with the Reds where he pitched well when the Reds were good. But, you know, a 40-year-old Bronson Arroyo who hasn't pitched in three years, you know, it, it remains to be seen what value he's going to have, if any at all. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And uh, just coming back to Homer Bailey is just a side question, but he had a $100 million, I think it, the exact number was $105 million, uh, extension for either five or six years. At the time of that deal, did you think it was worth it? You know, he hadn't really had injury problems. And I, I think it was six years, 105. His average annual value is about $19 million a year. It wasn't a bad deal. Remember, this is a guy that's thrown two no-hitters and and really showed some some ace-like potential when the Reds were a competitive baseball team and going to the playoffs. You know, arms are always a risk. And unfortunately for the Reds, Homer Bailey's been a terrible one because he hasn't been able to pitch. Yeah, I just asked that just on a whim because I think you said what I thought. Uh, you know, at the time, people were on the fence about it, like, you know, wow, is he really worth that much? And, you know, kind of laughing at the Reds. But I kind of thought, based on what we knew about, you know, the value of a win and how tough it is to lock down a cost control pitcher and all that, it, it seemed like a fair deal and it seemed like a smart deal for the Reds who were still within their window of contention. Right, and $19, $19 million for a pitcher, that's a mid-level starter now. So even if they were getting mid-level starter production out of Homer Bailey these last few years, his average annual value wouldn't be all that bad. It's just they haven't gotten anything out of him, so they're paying him to rehab, and nobody wants that. So the deal wasn't bad for the Reds, but the luck has been horrendous. So basically, uh, we know that the Reds are bad. The Cubs basically destroyed them in Vegas the, the other weekend. And even though it's spring training, it's got to be embarrassing to just be, you know, have a big anvil dropped on you like that. I guess one of my questions for you is, if we look at their farm system now, how soon do you think the Reds can come back into contention? Because it's not like they're super hurting for money, but it, it seems like they're bogged down by Joey Votto's contract. And I don't know any uh, Reds prospects other than maybe Rysel Iglesias. And he may not even count because he's probably pitched too much to be a prospect anymore. 
Uh, no, Rysel still qualifies to be a prospect. I mean, in my mind, because really last year was was a tryout. I know he. I think he's exhausted his rookie eligibility. There, there isn't a lot to really talk about in the Reds farm system. Uh, we saw a little bit of Jesse Winker this weekend against the Cubs. He's probably him and Amir Garrett, who's actually injured, are probably the two best, most major league ready prospects that the Reds have. And we'll probably see Winker, if not on opening day, fairly soon thereafter in right field. Yeah, he, he seemed like he was being a pest in Vegas, so I, I totally get that. Do you happen to know if the Reds decided to put Iglesias into the rotation or not? Because I felt like with his stuff, he, he would be much better served as, you know, a stretched out starter, five or six innings, rather than just a closer that, you know, is basically misused by whoever is managing right now. I think it's still Price, right? Yeah, it's, it's still Brian Price, and I don't actually know. Last, I think the last thing I heard about Rysel Iglesias was that he's going to pitch out of the bullpen, hmm. which kind of feels like a waste, because if you put him at the back end of that awful bullpen, he's not going to pitch in a lot of meaningful situations. Right. Let's turn our attention to Mr. Votto. Uh, he's obviously still a very good Pit, uh, player, position player. He's only a first baseman, but who cares? Because his bat is really, really valuable. He, I read somewhere. Uh, I don't forgot who posted it on Twitter today, but he hasn't posted an o, OBP under like four thirteen in something like nine years. Yeah, Joey's a monster. I I looked at Joey's numbers a little bit when I was writing up the Reds and. It's incredible how consistently he has that on-base percentage up in that 420, 430. I think it was somewhere around 450 last year, which is nuts. The thing about Joey Votto is, though, he's valueless on that team. He's not going to carry them to be anything resembling respectable. Um, You know, with the blog piece that I have out on the Reds that dropped on Monday... I speculated that they should probably trade him. Yeah, I, they don't... I, yeah, I feel like they should, and I think they're going to try, but uh, that behemoth of a contract, he's a $200 million guy after that extension. I have a vague idea of how much is left. I'll probably have to look on cuts for that, but uh, that's a lot of money for either the Reds or uh, the other team to eat. Yeah, he's owed 22 or $23 million in 2017 and then 25 million dollars a year between 2017 and 2023 and there's a 2024 team option on that so there's there's a load of money on there and if the reds were going to try to move him they would have to eat some of it mm-hmm. but there are teams especially american league teams like the red sox who are willing to spend money who have prospects that the that would interest the reds that could use a left-handed power bat and use him as a DH because Joey's defense suffered last year. Yeah, he's yeah. not getting any younger. He's 33. Defensively, he's he's not terrible. You're not throwing what we all feared Daniel Vogelbach would have been out there quite yet, but it isn't getting any better. He's 33. He's under contract through with age 41 season. Using him as a designated hitter going forward, that could actually make a lot of sense for an American League team because his walks and his great contact rate aren't the things that are going to decline as he ages. 
Yeah, that makes sense, especially since David Ortiz just retired and, you know, you don't know what you're going to get from Pablo Sandoval after his uh, little ordeal last season. Uh, I think David Price is a little slowed down, so I feel like their immediate need is pitching. But what I feel is you don't know what's going to happen between now and the trade deadline, so that's probably one of the blockbusters we have to be looking for before July. You know, the David Price going down with Boston, Chris Sale can cover a lot of ailments, and he's cheap. Like, there's a reason it costs Boston so much to get Chris Sale, other than Chris Sale being awesome. Yeah, I think uh, every time Sale throws, I, I feel like his arm is going to explode, but it hasn't yet, so it must really work for him. Yeah, it's a cringeworthy, violent delivery, but at this point, I think you just kind of got to gotta play it out and see what happens because the results have been too great. Yeah. So you remember when the big unit, uh, Randy Johnson, threw. Like, I, I see that sling motion that Sale uses, and I think of Randy Johnson. I think Madison Bumgarner uses something similar. And it, it's just amazing how much torque is on their elbow and, when they throw, but it just seems to work for them. And big unit, obviously, pitched for, like, almost 20 years, so it, it obviously did work for him. Yeah, Bumgarner strikes me as a little more under control, but, yeah, Randy Johnson was violent. Chris Sale's delivery is just arms and legs coming at you. <laughs> a little bit of segue away from the NL Central. Uh Thankfully, we won't have to play too much of the AL East until Interleague and until the World Series again. So uh, we can move on to, I guess, your hometown team, the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, the Brewers are interesting. Uh, about a year and a half ago when when they started rebuilding under former manager Doug Melvin, they took what was a pretty horrendous farm system and built it into a pretty good one very quickly. And it was, at the time, led by Orlando Arcia, who debuted last year, the shortstop. And now it's, you know, the with Arcia being called up, it's now led by, like, Lewis Brinson, who was acquired last year from the Rangers in the Lucroy trade. And behind him, they have guys like Josh Hader, uh, Lewis Ortiz, Corey Ray. There is a lot of talent in that farm system, and some of it's reaching that upper level. So we could see the Brewers get an influx of talent relatively quickly. Right. I think of all the uh, so-called fourth-place teams or bottom dwellers, they're the ones that scare me the most. And it seems like every season, uh, maybe it's just because of the ghost of Ryan Braun. Maybe it's because of random voodoo, but... There always seems to be a Cubs killer on the Milwaukee Brewers, and with the farm system like that, that's like on the up and up. I I, I feel like they would be uh, back within contention in no more than two to three years, based on how they're progressing. You know, I th I think they're a little more optimistically than that on the Brewers. I think if 2017 goes right for them, they could be one of those those in vogue sleeper picks for 2018. Because they already have some talent at the major league level. Orlando Arcia is already there. Jonathan VR was a revelation for them last year when they brought him over from from Houston with with David Stearns, who was in the front office there and is now the GM of the Brewers. Jonathan VR, while not playing great shortstop defense, moves over to second base, and he stole 62 bases by himself last season on a team that stole 181. Yeah, that could be problematic for uh, the Cubs, who... 
the pitchers at least have problems holding runners and you know Miguel Montero's throwing problems but I feel like Wilson Contreras could probably alleviate some of that but yes people running wild and pissing off the pitchers that that might be a little bit of a problem for any team even a team as good as the Cubs uh yeah if there's anybody in in Major League Baseball that can probably give Jonathan or Wilson Contreras a run for his money behind the plate it's Jonathan VR and we didn't talk about him at all with the Reds because he has a terrible time getting on base. But Billy Hamilton, those are guys that can outrun pretty much any arm in baseball. What I've read in passing, because I don't care as much about the Reds as some people, uh, I just, you know, read up on them because they're a division rival and you kind of have to know about them. But it seems like Billy Hamilton's uh, trying, at, at least progressing in his ability to actually get on base to use his legs. Well, he he still has this problem where he tries to hit the ball in the air a little too much or doesn't try and just ends up doing it. And the ball in the air for Billy Hamilton is a disaster. Jonathan VR, for his part, does a little better job keeping the ball on the ground. And he's he's got a little more pop in his bat. So the guy can get on base without having to beat it into the ground and try to outrun it. He just has that ability when he does. So Billy Hamilton is still Willie Mays Hayes, whereas Jonathan VR is more of a finished product. Uh, yeah, I think I read somebody compare him to to Ricky Henderson because he he had a fair amount of of pop in his bat, and I'm not sure I saw that, but I did see him outrun John Lester's ability to even throw the ball to third base in a game last year, and. Let's talk about Ryan Braun. Uh, Braun doesn't have as much money on his, left on his contract as uh, Joey Votto when we last talked about the Reds, but he still has quite a chunk of change. I feel like he's probably the most obvious trade uh, candidate. Yeah, Ryan Braun was definitely on the block. The, the rumors after the deadline and even after the August 31st dead, uh, waiver deadline came out that they were pretty close to moving him for Yasiel Puig. That could have been interesting. Uh, it, it would have definitely been interesting. Uh, I don't I don't know if Puig necessarily fits what the Brewers are trying to do, but he would be a little bit more in the way of power for the Brewers, who, with all these nice prospects, don't really have that. The Brewers aren't that team that's going to mash home runs that we've kind of gotten used to with them. They are a little more of a, a pesty, on-base, smart kind of team. A lot in the image of their manager, Craig Council. Ryan Braun is kind of the last remaining image of said Brewers that that are really home run driven. I'm trying to think of other valuable Brewers, and I just can't put my head on it. I I can think of Garza, uh, Matt Garza, former Cub, Matt Garza, and that's about it. Well, uh, Matt Garza has been the furthest thing from productive. I think he's signed through 2018 at this point at about 13 million dollars a year. He just he frankly hasn't been any good for him, so his trade value is so limited. You know, last year, uh, 4.33 ERA, 1.5 whip. Yeah, so he, he's been kind of all over the place, just giving up hits and not striking too many people out, huh? Uh, yeah, I was I was wrong. It's a 4.33 FIP and a 4.5 ERA, so even worse than I, I initially thought. Yeah, 36 walks and 101 innings, so he hasn't really been available for him. And yeah. I, I forgot, like, he, he had uh, had maybe one or two DL stints last year, huh? So somebody who is kind of broken and hasn't been productive probably wouldn't net the Brewers that much. 
it seems almost as if they at some point would think about designating him for assignment and just putting somebody else from the farm system into the rotation to see what they have. The, the Brewers aren't really stocked with with major league ready arms. If they do go in the, the trade route this year, if they do have designs on competing, you know, higher level, even young major league type arms might be the way to go. If Matt Garza has a good first half of the season, there might be a team willing to take him on, but he's not going to net the same kind of trade value he did when the Cubs traded him to the Rangers. Oh, yeah, that was a, that was a fun trade. I liked that one. That was a fleecing. Yeah. Even with Mike Oltz crashing out and uh, Neil Ramirez basically out of the organization now, the two guys they still have are very, very productive, and I was very happy with that trade. Yeah, between Grimm and Edwards, if you get two solid middle-to-back-end relievers out of a trade, I think you got to take that. You know, Neil Ramirez was productive and got hurt. I think he latched on with San Francisco. I'm not sure if he's going to make their team. And I think Mike Olt is actually in the Padres organization. So They had their moments. Uh, I, I actually was more excited when I thought that all three of Grimm, uh, Edwards, and Ramirez could potentially start because we all know that the Cubs need uh, starting pitching, especially with Arietta and Lackey about to bolt for free agency or retirement, whichever they decide. I, I don't think Edwards was was really destined to start with his size. Um, I don't think we ever saw that really from Ramirez with his injury history either. I think the one that had the best chance to start when they acquired him was actually Justin Grimm because he had been a starter a little bit for the Rangers. As it turns out, Justin Grimm turned into a, a really nice middle to late innings reliever where he can come in in some high leverage situations and get out of some jams. Yeah, we saw that in the playoffs last year. Um, let's see. So Brewers probably have one of the better farm systems along with the Pirates and the Central right now. Uh, everybody else is kind of a step down from those two, I believe. Yeah, I would say the Brewers have the best farm in the in the division, but I would say the Pirates probably have the second best farm system in the division because yeah. even with all of the even with all the guys they've graduated lately, the Josh Bells, the Gregory Polanco. You know, they still have Austin Meadows, uh, Jamison Tyon, and Tyler Glass now are, are now coming up. So they'll, they won't be prospects anymore, but those are guys that, you know, they graduated within the last year. This is a good segue, too, because your third-place team projected to finish third in the NL Central are the Pirates, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, and the, the Pirates are a mystery. I, I have them at 500 because, honestly, they could go 5 the six games better than that or five to six games below that. You know, last year it, it was so hard to peg what, what happened to the Pittsburgh Pirates last year that they finished, you know, five under. You know, Andrew McCutcheon had a basically a replacement level season after having seven years where he looked like a surefire Hall of Famer. And it it caused him to sell. They traded Mark Melanson at the deadline. It was an interesting season for a team that you thought was going to be so good. And even probably a little down, but still very good, to having such a disappointing year. Right, and uh, I think they are going to have issues too because one of their bigger bats, Jung Ho Gung, is having trouble even getting back to the United States. Uh, I think he might even be 
suspended or on the restricted list for the beginning of the season due to his DUI issues. Well, he's on the restricted list because he can't get a visa out of Korea. I don't think there's ever been any discipline from MLB handed down on him, mm-hmm. at least as far as as far as this incident goes. But yeah, Jung Ho Gung is one of their one of their more important middle of the lineup bats, and and he'll be missed. You know, fortunately, the the Pirates actually have some options. They can they can play Josh Harrison at third base, and and they have David Freeze that that can play third. So they're not the cupboard's not bare for him, and you know, Allenson is is up, and he's he's able to play second with Harrison at third. So they they'll miss Jung Ho Gung, but they're not totally helpless without him. Even even still, with or without him, the Pirates are a big question mark because they had some guys suffer on performance last year. Uh, I feel like their outfield defense should be pretty good between uh, Gregory Polanco. I'm sorry, Gregory Polanco and uh, Starling Marte, but I had. No idea until I actually looked it up that Andrew McCutcheon had been so bad on defense. Uh, he's been their center fielder for so long, and he probably shouldn't have been. Uh, and, you know, just from the eye test, he didn't look horrible. But from all the uh, advanced defensive stats, it just seemed like he was costing them runs. He was hemorrhaging runs. Yeah, he it was it was surprising. I think we saw it against the Cubs a few times last year where he misplayed some balls or let some balls get over his head and and some things didn't go well for him in the outfield. That just didn't look very Andrew McCutcheon like. But he's not the center fielder anymore. They moved him in the right field this year, which at PNC Park is actually the easiest position to play. Starling Marte is gonna be their new is gonna be their new center fielder, and they're gonna move Gregor Gregory Polanco over to left field. So that that may help their defense if the Pirates are aware that, you know, maybe Kutch has lost a step or, you know, he just doesn't read balls in center quite as well as he used to anymore. Mm-hmm. But they're going to move it to that smaller right field, and he's still got plenty of arm to play it. So that should help his defense to a degree. And Starling Marte is probably the best player that nobody really knows about. Right. And his defense, his defense should more than then cover that spacious center field in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I figure between Polanco and Marte, they could probably cover three-fourths of the outfield and just leave McCutcheon in his little corner and hope for the best. I feel that uh, what they need a more better bounce back for is his bat. So last year, he, he was above league average uh, by OPS Plus and by some other factors, but it was bad for a McCutcheon uh, performance. Yeah, it really was. When you look at Andrew McCutcheon, the guy had a 106 WRC+, plus, which isn't terrible until you consider that the next lowest mark in his career was in 2009, where it was 122, which is outstanding. The batting average wasn't there for Andrew McCutcheon. The, the defense wasn't there. The power wasn't there. It was really, really incredible to see. For a guy who who was so good for so long, to have a 24 home run, 79 RBI year, where he hits 256. Yeah, uh, I didn't watch as much of the World Baseball Classic as I wanted to, but uh, the few games that I watched, like he had some timely hits. So I hope that carries on for him into the season. Uh, I don't know what the Pirates are going to do because I feel like they have some form of window of contention. They have. 
decent pitching, uh, decent pitching coming up as well as uh, already on the major league roster. At the same time, they're so cheap because they're in a small market and ownership won't pay. So do you ride with what you have or do you think about rebuilding and selling McCutcheon at the deadline like they try to do this offseason? It sounded like they tried to do that a little bit during last season, too. Um, rumors that they, they tried to work out a deal with the Nationals during last season, and I think that came to fruition again during the offseason. I do think that there's a really good chance that we see an Andrew McCutcheon trade this year, especially if the Pirates don't perform at a level where they could contend, because they do have Austin Meadows waiting He's their number two prospect, but he's the number nine overall MLB.com prospect. He plays center field. He's a left-handed bat. He's a really good hitter. He runs well. He's a really good defender. His power is probably above average. He's kind of a left-handed left-handed version of Andrew McCutcheon, and he'll be cost-controlled for the next six years, whereas Andrew McCutcheon is getting older at 29 years old. You know, not quite the same guy anymore, at least if last year was any any insinuation. Andrew McCutcheon actually had a negative BWAR last year. He had a negative 0.7 baseball reference wins above replacement. I think Fangraphs had him at 0.7, so really right around replacement level player. Yeah, that, that was just uncharacteristic, and I felt really bad because I actually like Andrew McCutcheon both as a player and as a person. Like It would be rough for Pittsburgh to lose that kind of superstar because it's been a while since they had one just like that. Yeah. Last year was so uncharacteristic. I, I had put Andrew McCutcheon on the short list of best player in the national league. And, you know, going into 2015 and 2016, I, I compared him favorably to Mike Trout because he did, you know, before last year, he had had a 400 on base percentage every year since 2011 you know, he had hit 300, 400, 500 average on-base slugging, you know, four years in a row. So it was it was really uncharacteristic to see him struggle like he did last year. Like, we're waffling between whether the Pirates, like, obviously we're Cubs fans, so our opinions don't mean squat, but uh, it, it, it will be interesting to see which path the Pirates choose because they've always operated on the cheap and... It's kind of tough to see that when they could be such a good team. They have a beautiful ballpark, and they obviously have some form of fan base. Like, you always see people in the ballpark, but it's not as full as it should be, and that's kind of unfortunate because it's it seems like a beautiful place to watch a baseball game. Yeah, I haven't been to PNC Park, but it's definitely on the short list. And when the Pirates are good, they actually do sell that place pretty full. It'll be interesting to see how the Pirates turn out this year because they they are still very talented and they do have some good pitching. Garrett Cole is still really good, mm-hmm. and if James if Jameson Tyon stays healthy and and pitches this full year with Tyler Glass now, you know there's there's some pieces there that would tell you that the Pirates could actually be pretty good. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know a lot of those pieces existed last year too, and then with Jung Ho Gong, that just depletes their depth as well as one of their better hitters. So they could go the other way, and you could see a real changing of the guard in Pittsburgh where we do see them trade Andrew McCutcheon. So the Pirates are a real wild card in this division to where they could be a contender and really make noise with the Cardinals, or they could actually 
realistically finish fourth behind the Milwaukee Brewers. That wouldn't surprise me one bit. Yeah, so that this is the part where you say like the middle three teams are kind of bunched together and it's kind of tough to to call. Right, because the the Pirates are they could go either way. The Brewers are coming, mm-hmm. and the St. Louis Cardinals aren't the Cardinals that we're accustomed to seeing. This this is kind of interesting because I think you have broached the subject of hey maybe the Cardinals should rebuild, and uh, that's your second place team by the way. Uh, can you expound a little bit on that? Like, why do you think the Cardinals should rebuild when it seems like they they should be still be able to uh, contend for a few years to come? So I have them at 84 wins this year, hmm. and that's not a playoff team. 84 wins is what Theo Epstein would call that that terrible middle ground where you're not in the playoffs, but you don't have a protected pick. Yeah, it really is a purgatory. And I know they added Dexter Fowler, who is going to help them a lot, because try as they might, Randall Gritchick was not a center fielder, and they couldn't do anything to turn him into one. We saw him a couple of times against the Cubs last year where it was comical watching him play center field defense. So adding Dexter Fowler will really, really help that. Depending on who you talk to, I thought that Dexter Fowler did a good job in center field for the Cubs, but then again, he was playing flanked by a gold glover and Jason Hayward, and when uh, Kyle Schwarber got hurt, he was at least play, uh, flanked on the other side by some competent uh, left fielder, be it, well, dare I say, Chris Coughlin, or uh, I don't even remember who the other left fielders were. I, I think at some point, like, Ben Zobris had to be pushed to left field, and Wilson Contreras, when he came up, he played left field. Yeah, yeah they, they truly had a left field by committee last year, and Everybody on that committee, for the most part, was really good. You know, after Chris Coughlin came back, he was a he was a viable option to play left. We saw Chris Bryant out there quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Wilson Contreras forced himself into the lineup when he came out, just the way he swung the bat when he came up. There was no there was no way you could get him out of the lineup, so he manned that spot capably for a long time. And then, yeah, you're right. In the playoffs, we saw a lot of Ben Zobrist out there because you couldn't get Javi Baez's glove off the infield it was so invaluable that way yeah and it seemed like basically being flanked by capable defenders made dexter look better and i don't know because i'm not as versed in defensive statistics as i should be like whether that's because of the other two guys or because dexter was already good and now he looks even better so it's gonna be tough to see like based on what i know about st louis's outfield it's not going to be good you know, I think if you remember when the Cubs acquired Dexter Fowler, the real question was, hey, can he play defense? Because if you looked at his metrics from when he was with the Colorado Rockies and when he was a Houston Astro, they weren't great. But that was a guy who was trying to cover really enormous center fields. Like if you if you picture Coors Field and the way they have that one yeah, built down in, you know, Minute Maid Park in Houston where they had the, where they had the hill that's gone now this year, but there was a hill and a flagpole in play, and it was really deep, something like 430 feet straightaway center field and some some weird contours. So the real question when Dexter came to the Cubs was, hey, can he play defense? And then they put him in center field in 2015, if you remember, and it's like, hey, his defense is fine. You know, he just happens to be flanked by Jorge Soler and, you know, Chris Coughlin or Kyle Schwarber, some really young guys who maybe aren't the best defenders. 
Right, and I think they just repositioned him a little better uh, so that he wasn't playing as deep because in Wrigley you don't have to play as deep. And if you kind of look at Wrigley, it seems like Wrigley has the smallest center field of just about any ballpark in Major League Baseball. Uh, the one adjustment they actually made with Dexter last year was to move him back, and it's because going back isn't something he did well, and it really helped him. And they could play him a little further back because they had Jason Hayward. They could play him a little further back and a little more shaded towards left to cover up for the committee of guys that they had out there. Because really, when it wasn't Chris Bryant playing left field, the left field defense was probably the weakest of the three spots. So Dexter's defense was pretty good last year. I think having Jason Hayward around really helped that. I don't know if he's going to be able to make you know, Steven Piscotty and Randall Gritchick better, or if those guys are going to make him better. Was I think there's a... Adams in left field now? I, I, I forgot if Adams is at first or left field, because I think they had to move Carpenter for some reason. I'm not totally sure where they're going to play Matt Adams, but speaking strictly as a Cubs fan, I hope and pray that they put him in right field. No, I don't think they do that, because that's where Piscotty is going to be, so he would most likely be in left. I'll have to look that up later, but uh, the reason I was thinking of that is because usually when you look at Matt Adams, a.k.a. Fat Adams, I don't know, apologies to any Cardinals fans uh, listening to this, but that's just, you know, a pretty easy nickname. He, he was well, I think much. most Cardinal fans call him that, too, so. <laughs> yeah, he, he was basically their backup first baseman, um, or their regular first baseman anyway, and I think Matt Carpenter is manning that spot now because... Like, Johnny Peralta has to be at third, and then they have Lesmond Diaz at shortstop. Or maybe it's Jerko. I, I forgot what's, what's going on. But uh, there is some situation going on that is making Matt Carpenter move over to first base. Yeah, they've got, they've got a glut of infielders. And you could be right about Johnny Peralta playing third and Lesmond Diaz playing short. I know Colton Wong this week kind of made waves in St. Louis because he said he'd rather get traded than platoon at second. And I don't know if Matt Carpenter will move back over there. Really, I don't think they have anybody good enough to move Matt Carpenter off of third unless they do move him to first. And then I'm not sure that Matt Adams is better than either of Randall Gritchick or Stephen Piscotty. So I can't I can't really come up with any good reason why they'd unseat either of those two guys flanking Dexter Fowler in the outfield. Off the top of my head, it seems like there are holes in the infield and the outfield uh, defense. I I think they'll still hit pretty well. I just think that uh, the defense is going to leak a few extra runs than you would normally expect. You know, I'm not really sold on their hitting either. Hmm. The, The Cardinals led the National League with home runs last year, but I can't see any way in the world Jed Jerko gives him 30 this year again. That that was a little strange. Yeah, Brandon Moss gave him 28. He plays for Kansas City now. And if, if you remember back, not long, 2014, the Cardinals were last in the National League. And in 2015, they were 11th in the National League in home runs. So you got to... You've, You've got to show me more than one year where you set the major league record in pinch hit home runs. You get replacement level infielder and turn him into Babe Ruth. 
and then you resurrect the corpse of Brandon Moss and turn him into a prolific power hitter. You got to do something more than that. I think Stephen Piscotty, Randall Gritchuk, they hit 22 and 24. Matt Carpenter hit 21. I think those guys will continue to hit at about that level. You'll get Dexter Fowler's 15 to 20, somewhere in that ballpark. They, they'll probably come back to the pack in terms of power. Uh, they don't run particularly well. They were dead last in the National League with 35 stolen bases. And although Dexter Fowler is fast, he's not particularly great at stealing bases. He's only done it. He's only gone over 20 twice in his career in 2009 and 15. Let's think about their pitching. I think Carlos Martinez is the opening day starter, correct? So that's who we will see on Sunday night. Yeah, we should see Carlos Martinez, and and he's a really good young arm. I, I think you may remember a few years ago when they were pitching him out of the pen, you know, high indies. He didn't really lose a lot of that velocity when he went to the rotation. He is definitely their best starter. The rest of their pitching, it's a lot of question marks. They lost their top prospect, Alex Reyes, this year. He's going to have Tommy John surgery and won't pitch in 2017. Adam Wainwright is another year older. Uh, Jaime Garcia was traded to the Atlanta Braves, so he's no longer there. Uh, Michael Waka, I know he was he was really great for them when he came up. You know, kind of led them to the World Series in 2013, but he hasn't been the same since. There's a ton of question marks in their pitching. They weren't particularly strong pitching last year, but they weren't bad. You know, seventh in ERA, sixth in fifth. Eighth in strikeout percentage, sixth in walks and hits innings pitched, you know, kind of middle of the road. And that's kind of indicative of where their record was, kind of middle of the road, just barely missing that wild card level of the playoffs. Farm system wise, I'm sure they have like a few gremlins or or whatever, or trolls or orcs or somebody just come up and exude uh cardinals devil magic and they'll they'll start performing and then we'll be like where the hell did this guy come from but uh you had uh in our passing conversation suggested that the cardinals rebuild can you expound on that a little bit no i i think they're closer to needing to rebuild than they are to actually competing and it's it's because they don't really have that prospect on the radar other than alex reyes who we know that we know his situation, having Tommy John surgery, that's going to come up and is really going to contribute. You know, they have Luke Weaver. He's the number 81 overall MLB.com prospect. Harrison Bader is number 83. You know, after that, they're kind of limited. Bader, Weaver, and the aforementioned Alex Reyes in the top 100. And I know they usually get production from guys that you've never, ever heard of before. But at some point, that's going to end. And for the Cardinals, if you remember, they lost their first-round pick when they signed Dexter Fowler. They lost their second and their third-round picks to the Houston Astros for the whole hacking your computer problem. So they're not going to get a lot of draft help this year. So to me, we keep hearing about the potential for a Yadier Molina contract extension because he's due free agency after this year. You know, again, as a Cubs fan, yeah. Signed 36-year-old Yadier Molina to a three-year extension. Yadier Molina isn't getting any younger. Yeah, I think his knees have so many miles on them, it's surprising that he he can even catch that many games every year anymore. And and really, he can't. He wasn't 
he wasn't terribly productive last year. I think Fangraphs had him at two and a half ish wins above replacement. He wasn't remarkably far ahead of Wilson Contreras. And if you remember, Wilson Contreras didn't come up until basically half the year was over. Right. I don't think it's really a stretch to say that, you know, Yadier Molina is kind of a bottom half catcher in Major League Baseball anymore. He's definitely not better than Wilson Contreras anymore. He's nowhere near the level of a Buster Posey or even a a Jonathan Lucroy. Yeah. And this is just a personal anecdote, but over the past few practices, I've been catching for our high school baseball team. And, you know, it's murder on your knees. I, I can't even begin to comprehend how they are able to do it without just screaming in pain every single day like how how many hours do they spend in the ice bath to ice their knees to get massages just so that they could uh come back again the next day and do it and they only get maybe one or two days a week off uh of the catching duties and you you're talking about a guy who has to do it for nine innings for 130 games or so it's crazy it's it's really incredible Yadier Molina caught 1,218 innings last year, and that is the most he's caught in his career. You know, he caught 1,149 the year before, and even that, that's about on par with what his career had been. But twelve over 1,200 innings last year in 142 games as as a catcher, like, their backs have really sucked. Was was it who was that? It was a uh, Tony Cruz. Was it Tony yeah, Cruz? I think they had Tony Cruz. Uh, they do have a young guy, Carson Kelly, who is is coming, and he debuted a little bit, played last year in ten games, but didn't play a lot. Yeah, if you're getting a catcher who's getting up in years, maybe he should start playing first base. Yeah, he did make a start at first last year. I think we may see that more this year, just because. They have to. One thing Yadier Molina still does is he still makes contact. He doesn't hit for much power anymore. He had under 10 home runs last year. Uh, He had eight. So he had 307 last year with a 360 on base. That's still serviceable production from a catcher. I'm going to say that's still solid offensive production from a catcher. But at the same time, the guy's defense isn't what it used to be. You know, father time is undefeated. and he's starting to take a, a pretty good lead over Yadier Molina's body. And so if you were smart and you were the Cardinals, you probably let him walk in free agency. Would you offer him a qualifying offer if he, that was the case? Um, Yeah, I'd probably put a qualifying offer on him just because there's almost no chance that he accepts it. Hmm. I, I still think that the Cardinals almost certainly extend him. I think they view him as a guy that, is going to be a cardinal for life. Yeah, I think there's some value in that for like marketing and loyalty reasons. But from a baseball standpoint, I would probably let him walk. But then again, if we're Cubs fans, we're just like, what? Yeah, like you said, sure, whatever, sign him, give him a 50-year contract, whatever, guys. Yo, as a, as a Cubs fan, yeah, let's let's keep trotting the the corpse of Yadier Molina behind the plate. As one of the smarter, more forward-thinking organizations in baseball, I mean, this is a team that let Albert Pujols walk, and Albert Pujols is on probably the short list of the top two or three greatest players the Cardinals have ever had. Oh, yeah. 
it, it's amazing how quickly he declined, though, and I guess the Cardinals got lucky, like, when he left, uh, the Devil Magic basically left him as well. He was already kind of old, too, at that point, so, yeah, injuries caught up to him. Yadier Molina's the same kind of thing, and really, if the Cardinals find themselves in that, that kind of middle ground that I suspect they may be in, this could be a year where they trade Yadier Molina, because like I said, they're not going to get farm help from the draft. They just don't have the picks. I know they've spent a lot on international free agency, but all those players are a long way away. A Yadier Molina, he could bring you back a nice prospect or a couple of solid pieces. And Adam Wainwright, if he pitches well, he could do the same thing. Adam Wainwright was in some ways impressive last year after making 33 starts. He didn't pitch particularly well. The 4.6 ERA, some of it may have been a little bit bad luck. His FIP was under four. So that may have been hurt by the Cardinals' uncharacteristically porous defense. But they've got some of these veteran players who they may be able to move and to supplement their farm system and start building around the Carlos Martinez, who's definitely their best pitcher now, and you know Alex Reyes when he comes back from his injury. Right. And I guess uh, we can end the preview series with our not-so-biased uh, number one in the division pick, the Chicago Cubs. Well, it's definitely biased, but I know if we look back, I've done these, I've done these uh, previews now on WSD. I think this is the fourth year. You know, the first few years I picked the card or the Cubs towards the bottom. Uh, Fifteen, I think I had them third, which was nice. And then last year and this year, I'm picking them to win the division because, frankly, this year they are the class of the division again. Team that's won three games. They didn't really lose a lot. You know, Dexter Fowler's not here anymore. Uh, Roldis Chapman was a rental that we knew would not be back. Travis Wood, you know, he he provided some entertaining and fun moments. But in terms of value, there was some, but it was probably a little more limited than fans want to believe. And Jason Hamill was a guy who didn't make a playoff start. So, So really, the team didn't lose anything that couldn't be replaced. I'd say that obviously the biggest loss was Dexter Fowler and going to a division rival probably hurts double. Yeah, that was kind of annoying. I kind of hoped he would go to like, you know, Toronto or something, but alas, uh, whatever, man, you know, like he helped us win a world series. I say us as if I was on the team, but you know, he helped the Cubs win the world series and he deserves to get paid. So best of luck to him. Yeah, uh, the Cardinals had to to massively overpay for Dexter Fowler, who's a good player. He's not a great player. He's a very functional, needed role player. But losing him, I think fans are a little more biased in the loss of Dexter Fowler because of how great his personality is and how much they love the guy versus the production. You know, they have a bevy of options to replace him at leadoff hitter. They're not going to be prototypical, and, you know, not all of them are switch hitters, but uh, they, they seem pretty functional uh, based on the lineup that they were trying to run out in spring training with Kyle Schwarber, of all people, at the top. Yeah, and Schwarber's a, a really untraditional leadoff type hitter in the way that he's not going to get on base and he's not going to steal and he's not going to be a pest. But in some ways, he is a little bit of a more traditional leadoff hitter in that he'll work in a bat, and he's 
he may strike out more than you want, but he'll work at bats, he'll take pitches, and he's really tough to pitch to coming out of the shoot. And when you follow him with a Chris Bryant, who was National League MVP, and Anthony Rizzo, who finished the MVP vote in the top five last year and put up really similar offensive numbers to Chris Bryant, it's going to be a nightmare to start a game for a pitcher. Three guys, they can all go deep. They all work counts. They're all smart, patient hitters. They all run the base as well. Like pitchers have their work cut out for them. So, yeah, the Cubs lost Dexter Fowler. But, no, it's not like it got easier. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I know that a lot of people were wondering who the last guy was going to be. And this is what we said, like, the past couple of podcasts in the beta test and uh, revive number one. The Cubs only really had to worry about the last bullpen guy and the last bench spot, and they figured out the bullpen situation. Uh, Brian Dunsing is going to be on the DL to start the season, but it's a 10-day DL, so he should be back a little quicker. And then they have to figure out, well, who do we keep? Do we keep Caesar or Matt Caesar, or do we keep Tommy Listella? And my baseball brain says they're going to keep Tommy Lasella for the simple fact that he's left-handed, he can play the infield, and he hits for contact. You know, I, I could see them optioning Lestella because I could see them not wanting to let Matt Caesar go for nothing. When Brian Dunting comes back, sometimes these things just have a way of working themselves out where somebody else needs to go on the disabled list or, or any other type of roster attrition. Sometimes those things just work themselves out, and the they can kick the Caesar versus Listella question down the road a little further. Right. And Tommy, yeah. Tommy having uh, an option is a, is a real key here, though. If he is as willing as he's apparently said he is to go down to AAA, that allows them to at least hang on to a pretty valuable Matt Caesar without having to get rid of him for nothing or undervalued. Right. And so if they have the uh, benefit of time, so kicking it down the road, because I think we were debating this on uh, on the messenger earlier, like what is Matt Caesar's value? And my immediate thought was, well, he can get at the very least what Tony Campana got, which was two very interesting uh, arms with upside. And that's really what the Cubs need. If they were going to trade Caesar, they don't need another outfielder. They need pitching. And that's what I would hope that they could get back. And so I've been battling with the idea of, okay, who do I need to trade Caesar to in order to get that pitching back? Because I'm not going to get a frontline starter because Caesar is valuable, but he's not that valuable. But at the same time, I'm going to get an arm that I think can be projectable that could be useful as either organizational depth or eventually somebody that could fill out the back of the rotation or maybe just another bullpen arm. Yeah, I don't I don't know that the Cubs are going to go fishing quite as deep into the, the water as what Eric Leal and Jesus Castillo were when they traded Tony Campana to the Arizona Diamondbacks. If you remember, those guys were 17. I think they were still pitching in Venezuela. Right. I don't think the Cubs are going to... I don't think the Cubs are going that deep into the well for a pretty well-proven major league level fourth outfielder. I think they probably could get someone more in that IA, AA range who probably projects to be a bullpen, bullpen type pitcher. I don't want to say Corey Black, who the Cubs acquired for Alfonso Soriano, 
but probably someone in that range, you know, the high A, double A, you know, maybe he could start somewhere down the road and fill in the back of a rotation, but probably ends up as a middle reliever. I think that's kind of what Matt Caesar is worth, mm. an upside arm. Because the leverage right now, the leverage situation is that everybody knows he's out of options and that the Cubs are trying to stash him at this point. They're not literally stashing him because he's obviously still valuable as a pinch runner, a pinch hitter, and a defensive replacement. But they are out of options, so he has to stay on the roster, and other teams know that, and I feel like that kind of drives the trade value down just a tad. You know, it does hurt. It, it does hurt their level to say, you know, yeah, we, we're interested in trading him, but if we can't trade him, we'll just send him to the minors because they'd have to outright him off the 40-man and try to sneak him through waivers, and he isn't getting through. At the same time, they do have roster options with the Tommy Lastellas of the world, and they can carry 12 pitchers, which they'll do out of the gate. That allows them to keep both Lastella and Caesar on the roster. So they're not they're not completely limited in what they can do with Matt Caesar. That that kills his trade value. Yeah, it's it's diminished by the fact that he doesn't have a minor league option, and anywhere he goes is going to have to keep him on the roster, which probably means he goes to a a rebuilding type club. But at least he won the World Series with the Cubs, and he was very, very helpful in that regard. He was absolutely important to that, just as a pinch runner and defender during the regular season, and then his bat during the playoffs, helping Anthony Rizzo get out of that slump he he had during the Giants series. Okay, let's play a little game. Uh, Give me the win totals for all the teams starting with Cincinnati. Okay, the Cincinnati Reds, I can't. I can't predict 100 losses, so I got the Reds at 65. All right. 60 and 97. Okay. Milwaukee. 77. Oh, that's actually very close to 500, so I see why you said they were kind of bunched. Okay, and you said Pittsburgh was at 500, so that's 81 wins? Yep. I've got the Pirates at 81. I've got the Cardinals at 84. And the Cubs. And I have the Cubs dropping under that 100-win threshold to 95 and 67, which sounds awful after 103-win season, but you know, 95 wins is still a really good team. Yeah, and that's still 11 games over the Cardinals, so fine. Um, do you think the Dodgers or the Nationals or even the Giants win more than the Cubs then? I could actually see the Giants, Dodgers, and Nationals winning more than the Cubs. I don't know. I don't think they all will. But if I had to say that one team has the best shot of overtaking the Cubs as the best team in the National League, I would pick the Dodgers. Right. But I, but I think the Nationals are going to be very good. I think the Giants are going to be very good, and I think that the Rockies are going to be a dark horse for that second wild card slot. Hmm. How many wins will it take to win uh, the second wild card slot? Do you think? Yeah, I don't think we're going to look at anything too crazy as we. We've seen where they have the second wild card now where it's taken that 85 to 90-ish win threshold. Uh, 2015 was obviously one of those weird years where, you know, the two wild cards had 97 and 98 wins. I think we're probably looking somewhere in that 86 to 90 wins is going to be that second wild card. Okay, so that means the Cardinals, by your projection, would just barely miss out, and that's got to be maddening if it happens. Yeah, I don't see the Cardinals in the playoffs this year. Okay, uh, the 
Cubs, as all division teams do, they have to play each opponent 19 times. Do you have, off the top of your head, a head-to-head record between the Cubs and all their four division rivals? I would say 14 and 5 against the Reds, 11 and 8 against the Brewers, 11 and 8 against the Pirates who they seem to play well, and 10 and 9 against the Cardinals. So finally winning a a season series against the Cardinals. Did they lose it last year? I thought they won. Or was there was barely 9 and 10? They they may have won. I would actually have to to go back and look. We'll look later. We'll we'll just pretend that they won. Who cares? They won the World Series, right? Yeah, that that really helps. (laughs) Okay. I really wanted to thank you for taking the time uh, to hang out with us this week. And uh, I think the next time we record will be after Ben goes to the first uh, game at Wrigley uh, when they do the ring ceremony. No, they're doing the ring ceremony the second game. The first game is like the championship trophy. They're going to parade it around. But, uh, yeah, we'd love to have you back because you write really awesome blogs. And just remind us where we can find you, sir. Uh, you can find me on WorldSeriesDreaming.com. Uh, if you're looking for my stuff exclusively, you can go to the category behind the ivy. I would encourage you to just scroll through my website or the website and look at all of our stuff. Uh, this year, I hope to have a lot more on the minor league system, which is a lot less interesting now that the Cubs are really, really good. And on the Twitter, again, you can find me at behind underscore the underscore Ivy. All right. And we'll be right back. It was more than just a game. After some exhaustive research, which involved clicking on the 2016 Cubs page on Baseball Reference, I did find out that the Cubs won the season series against all NL Central opponents, including going 10-9 and against the Cardinals. So it does pay to do a bit of research beforehand. We're going a bit over time here, but I did want to let folks know that the Plaza at Wrigley is now known as the Park at Wrigley. You can access a somewhat restrictive 3D rendering via parkatwrigley.com, and it seems like the Cubs are going to try to jam as many amenities as possible into the area. There will be a large open area for gatherings, farmers markets, concerts, and the like. This is just west of Wrigley Field, so you can't, you can't miss it. I'm excited to travel up to see Ghostbusters in late July on the big screen installed in the new office building. And there are some renderings of what Winter Ice Rink will look like, which looks a heck of a lot better than the Rubbermaid bin they had to use when the parking lot was still next to the ballpark. It also looks like they're really taking advantage of the World Series win, and honestly, who wouldn't? By setting up the trophy within the office building, having a jewelry store to sell rings to fans, and of course the Cubs store, which will have a permanent location and won't just be a tent or a bunch of trailers thrown together as in the past. I'm looking forward to seeing it for myself, perhaps sometime during spring break, although probably not during the opening series, because only fans with tickets can access the plaza then. But my family and I should definitely see it during the race to Wrigley and when we go to games in May. We'll have Ben back on to talk about his experience at the new Wrigleyville just after the home opener, so stay tuned for that. Is quite a romance, but 
Until now the story stayed the same But you changed the script so we celebrate together by the time you hear this, the Cubs may have already seen the first pitch in their season opener against the Cardinals in St. Louis, and maybe we will have flown the W for the first time that counts in 2017. I guess I should apologize for the weird sound variations as I'm still trying to get used to the software and hardware in producing this thing, but the wife tells me it's okay, so I guess it's fine. But let us know in the comments if something is irritating or horribly wrong, or just throw out a friendly note if you like what you hear. We'd like to thank everyone who's listened to our Revive Dreamcast so far, and it's really exciting to see that we have over 100 downloads at the time of this recording between the beta test and the first new episode. It tells us that we have a committed, interactive community, as we've always known we had on Facebook and on Twitter. We would obviously like more exposure and more fun folks to hang out with on the internet so we can talk tubs as they work towards defending the World Series Championship. Uh, it never gets tired to say that, right? They work towards defending the World Series Championship. So please find us on Facebook at WSD.Cubs or on Twitter at, at WSDreaming underscore Cubs for Ben. And for myself, it's at Cubic Snarconia. That will also be in the show notes. You can also find us on iTunes, so please rate us so more fans can find us in the iTunes store. That link will also be in the show notes. We'll see how much this Dreamcast can grow, and we appreciate everything you do in following and supporting us. Again, please send questions in so that we can try to do a mailbag for the next Dreamcast. You can send them to Ben directly at worldseriesdreaming at gmail.com. And we'll do the next Dreamcast after the first home series, so please continue to share us to as many fans as you think will also appreciate what we bring to the table. Until next time, this is Rice Cube signing off. Go Cubs. In our hearts will burn the fire you flame. It was more than just a game.